0: And uh, it's good. I went skiing on Friday. It's family weekend. So it took five uh, teenagers uh, up to uh, ski. And uh, that was good. Snow was good. Um, it was lovely. I was there. They, um, they ditched me. And um, oh, I, I ditched them. Uh, and uh, I was skiing on my own. And I got onto the ski lift and I'm going up the ski lift and, and next to me was this very large person. I didn't know if this person was at that point a, um, a man or a woman because although it was, if it was a woman, she was quite butch uh, because of the color of the trousers, you see. They were kind of minty green. So I'm there and the person turned to me and spoke. I knew instantly it was a guy. He said, "Um, are you English? I said, I am. He said, there's loads of English people here, aren't there? I said, yes, there are. He said, I've met three today on this. I said, it must be like a special deal. (laughs) They're all coming over, I said. He said, yes. He said, "Uh," I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from the lower mainland. I said, oh, and which part of England are you from? I'm from Worcestershire, where the source comes from. We drill it out of the ground and we pipe it across the nation. It's the source that none of you can pronounce. You're trying now, aren't you? It's an impossibility for you. So I said, I'm from Worcestershire. He said, what? Worcestershire? I said, "Uh, no, Worcestershire. He said, oh, I said... I said, what, what do you do? He told me what he did. And I said, uh, I said what do you do? Because you don't know anything about it, but you just say this, this, just a nose. I'm very pastoral, but I, and, and I'm talking to this nose, and he goes, um, I said, well, actually, I have a brilliant job. I always make it very positive. awesome job. I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, you're a pastor? I said, yes what church? I said, Willow Park Church. He goes, is your name Phil Collins? I said, yeah. He said, I go to your church. (laughs) I said, do you? And you wear those pants? That's amazing. So, so I I got to meet, he said, yeah, we never used to come, uh, but we came at, um, in October, uh, for the Halloween type anti-event we do, you know our doors and all that, and we have a big event here, a thousand families through the door. He said we came there, and then I never stopped coming. So uh, he said, but until recently, so <laughs> I haven't been for a while. And I said, oh. Anyway, we got off, and I said, well, nice to see you, bye bye. And I worked away, so well. and I said, Lord. If you have you got something to say to this guy or just encourage him? I'd like to meet him again. So I skied down and he wasn't there. And then I went on a random ski and then I went through the trees, through the powder. Awesome. Falling over. Climbing up. Losing my ski. Got down to the powder chair. Nobody was there. And then he skied right next to me. So... I, I got on the thing on the uh, ski lift and I just said um, so you've sat with a, your pastor now twice what is God trying to say to you? <laughs> well we had a really lovely conversation about life and illness and problems and where God is and just a little conversation there that was I've been praying for him his family and uh, I want to just, I tell you that because it always amuses me. Um, but when you meet people in different contexts. But it's it also, we must never stop enjoying the moment when God's got the surprises for us every day. Where there's a conversation that God has ordained. When there's a relationship. And I just went, Lord, is this one of your moments? And for every one of us, God wants to meet us in the moment. Because God cares for us and loves us and is interested in us. And on this family weekend, um, I want to talk about family life. Family life can be complicated, can't it? And families can be complicated. And there are histories and problems and difficulties that happen. And there are patterns within families But you and I, I want to remind you, you and I have been uh, birthed into a family of God that is different, which is dynamic, and the life of Christ works through us as a family. But I've been talking the last couple of weeks about, first of all, identity. That our identity is in Christ Jesus upon that foundation. Our identity is not in other areas. And if we truly want to have freedom, we've got to break the lies that we tell ourselves and are told about us and live in the truth of the identity of all that Christ has done in our lives. It is fantastic. Jesus breaks the power of the lie in your life through the power of the cross. Some of those lies uh, are lies like you have to perform correctly to be accepted. Some of those lies are that you've always got to be in control. If you're not in control, things are going to go wrong. Some of those lies are you've got to be a perfectionist. Some of the other lies and attitudes are you know when you're building on the wrong foundation because something happens in your life and you respond defensively. When one responds defensively, it is a good indication that your identity is not in Christ, but you're protecting your own selfish ego. But what Christ wants to do is less of us, more of him. We know that we're living in that, that way when we become petty over things. Pettiness is not a spiritual gift in the Bible. And when we become petty, we start to pick and we start to complain and we start to become petty. And it becomes an action within our lives. And it's an indication perhaps that your foundation is not on the identity of Christ but on the lie. Or you become compulsive about certain attitudes, compulsive about certain practices, compulsion within your life. We spoke about the alignment of the soul last week. And that our souls are, like, um, are like, like our cars when they're out of line and they're, they're shaking. And we've got to get in and get them aligned again. And that the, the enemy of the soul is pride. And yet what God wants to do, he wants to use the beautiful and the amazing and the freeing gift of repentance. And when the amazing and freeing gift of repentance is is come, through repentance, it's an entry point into the kingdom of God. Through repentance, true change comes. Through repentance, deliverance and freedom happens. No more secrets, but the freedom of Christ can deliver us. For some people, we're bound by secrets and shame. But we have to admit and keep our hearts open. We have to stand in the light. And we have to admit our part. But you see that sometimes when we're ministering to our soul. We understand that. That there are patterns that have been modeled to us through our family life. That are unhelpful to our spiritual development. There are patterns that have happened, that have been modeled. And this is really what I want to share with you is, is family patterns on family weekend. And it starts off perhaps a little bit negative, but it goes to a beautiful conclusion And I want to remind you of the patriarchs, because sometimes when we look at the history of the patriarchs, I look at them and I see that there are patterns of behaviour that are unhelpful to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And those were passed on to Joseph. These were unhelpful patterns. Abraham himself had a propensity to do one thing. Abraham, although he's our great father, had this this ability where when he felt he was in a corner, he would tell a half-truth. Or he would lie, and lying and a slight deception was part of the patriarchal family. You know the story that when he gets down into Egypt, um, his wife is noticed Sarah, or even though she was quite old at that point, but still very attractive, apparently, and they would notice him, and she said, "No, no, not my wife, for fear of death. Uh, it 's my sister." And so there we see, and then of course, Isaac did exactly the same. He didn't even do, was more creative. He actually told the same lie in the same pattern in the same way. It's my sister. And you see that when the twins were born, Esau and, um, and, and, and Jacob as they were born, well, you saw what happened and what took place that that suddenly there was this rivalry and there was this family battle that took place this pattern that happened within the city and you've got rebecca Looking at uh, the younger twin and and really preferring and favoring and seeing that and the deception starts to come and starts to move. You got the father Isaac looking at Esau and loving him and thinking he's amazing. And the shenanigans in the family as they're trying to battle about the birthright and what is taking place and the slight the favoritism and the deception starts to work and the problems and of course. Uh, you know, Isaac's looking at his son Esau. He loves his son. He's got a big beard. He's got a hairy body. He, he runs around killing animals. He's from Prince George and, and he looks amazing. He's a northern BC man. No messing with him. He loves his food above all else. Yeah, forget that birthright. I want my stew. And you've got, you know, Jacob, his name actually is Deceiver, so you get an idea of what he is. He's moving, he's walking, he's carrying his filofax from the 80s. And, and he's this kind of smooth deal, dodging, trader, deceiver. It's from Toronto. I don't know. And, and he's moving this way and they, 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 they had this family thing going on which ends up in disaster and Jacob runs away and he meets you know, his father-in-law who is a deceiver as well in the family and deceives him with Leah and Rachel, and of course puts him in that situation because often when there's patterns of lying and patterns of deception, they reemerge in so many different ways. And then Jacob, of course, even though he's had an encounter with God... And he walks away limping, even so, there is still a pattern of favoritism, of lying, a pattern that is there in his family as he has the great 12 sons and the tribes of Israel that they become. But even there, he has his favorite, which is Joseph. And Joseph is favored. You see the family pattern being repeated. You see the happening coming through. Now, Israel Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of their sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him a lovely robe. And he puts this robe on him. He loves him, he favors him. How did he learn? To kind of this language in the in the text of the favoritism, of the love in this family saga that had happened. And this approach of this foolish father, if you like, It causes strife within the family. It causes that Joseph's personality is affected and changed. And he's he's not the man that he should be. He becomes arrogant. He becomes proud. Within the family dynamics, the brothers are competing with each other. It's like a family Olympics and they're, they're trying to compete and work. There's a pecking order that has been established. And when this creates this problem, what is at the heart of the danger of the sons and Joseph and Jacob's actions? At the heart of what was going on is a deep. Fear, A fear of rejection. A fear of not being number one. A fear of not being loved. A fear of not being cared for. And you see the dysfunction starting to come out again. You see. The competitiveness. But you see in the little life of Joseph that Joseph uses the... The favoritism creates an anxiety and the anxiety creates a, a sense of, well, we know that even while a brother and father loved him more than any of them and hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. that this, The fruit of this action was a division and was hatred within the heart of the family. There was, there was a problem that was going on. Even when he was you know, out on the fields tending flocks with brothers and family members. He says that he brought their father a bad report of them. Now there's no indication in scripture that these brothers you know, apart from the, the competitiveness had done anything particularly bad, that they were lazy or bad. But of course, when somebody is trying to be always number one and somebody is always trying to be driven by, by, um, by being the favoured one and being the special one and, and living this way, he brings a bad report about his brothers. So here we have Joseph, the youngest son who is not free because of this. He is bound. We have Joseph who is fighting everybody around him to keep his position. We have Joseph who is bringing division amongst the brothers and they're battling with each other and he becomes the centre of the pain and the dysfunction and the agony within the family unit. We have Joseph and jealousy, a kind of atmosphere of jealousy comes onto the family and a resentment and deep frustration starts to build within the life of the patriarchal family. The foundation and this jealousy uh, breeds and grows into this this pain and this battle that takes place. I've always wondered in this toxic environment why in the middle of this, God gives Joseph a dream. I mean, he's the most, his character is the result in many ways of generations of this, this lying, this scheming, this This unhealthy trait for all the good, there was an unhealthy pattern. And Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He seemed to lack a bit of wisdom here. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. And I think, God, why would you give Joseph a dream in this way? Of his greatness of his potential, of his destiny. The reason perhaps that God gave him this dream of his, of his future, of his potential, of his destiny is because very often even though our characters are flawed and God has a lot to do in our life, even though we are a work in process and character is king and what the Lord Jesus wants to do in our lives is to change our character, redeem our character, sanctify who we are, bring transformation to our levels of love and and get rid of our selfishness often what the Lord does in our immaturity he gives us a vision of how God can use us mightily. But what has to happen is that you know God has a destiny for your life and magnificent and wonderful things. But your talent and your natural ability and your broken character and patterns that you've picked up throughout your life have to catch up. That has to catch up with a godly and right character. So you're a working process and God is still working with you. You've got a vision maybe, like Joseph, of what you can be, of how God can use you, of how God can move. And so the brothers planned to get rid of him. They threw him down a cistern. Then they sold him into slavery. And then they lied and took the cloak, as it were, and put it in the blood of a goat and showed it. And so Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house in Egypt and very quickly he's seen, because somebody who's been favoured, somebody who has been told, somebody who feels pretty special about themselves, somebody who is, oh, you're so vain, I bet you think this song is about you problem. You all listened to the radio in the 70s, I see. Great song. With his, with his charisma, his brashness, his leadership ability, made an imp- a great impression because it an unredeemed gift does exactly that. You see, it wasn't that God wanted to knock him down a peg or two. What God is doing is restoring Joseph and his character into the man of God that Joseph should be. He's going to humble him. He's going to heal him. He's going to restore him. Potters' wife is attracted to the charismatic, good looking young man because charisma can attract sexual immorality and confidence can attract and power and there's that that interaction that takes place that we know so well and suddenly Joseph is being accused of rape and there is a robe that has been ripped off and that robe is now on the floor. Joseph is doing what every young guy should do is run from temptation. He is running right into prison. And there, probably to rot and to die. And with the words ringing in his head, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He did the right thing, but the bad report put him in prison. Don't you notice that Joseph was the one giving the bad report before and now the scripture says that he's got a bad report about him? Things have a way. What you sow, you reap. Things have a way of popping up. Things have a way of happening in a different way. he's in prison, but there he is in prison. And the amazing thing happened that God's not finished with him. And the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You see, his favoritism, which was driven from his family, the favoritism that was rooted in a wrong spirit, the favoritism that is at work is now being transformed by God's kindness into God's favor unto his life heaven's pattern is coming down into his heart that he may be transformed and God starts to show kindness and in the prison of course there is a, a baker and there's a cupbearer, and they have dreams, and he interprets the dreams. The baker's dream is not so good for him because he ends up having his head chopped off and his head put on a steak. Good morning and welcome to church. And the cupbearer is elevated back into the court of Pharaoh. And he says, Don't forget me. But they forget him. Another two years pass, but what is happening in the prison in two years? God is softening his soul, softening his heart, working on him as a man. God is moving. God is changing him. And sometimes the prison that we find ourselves in and the problems we find ourselves in, because of patterns learned in family life, sometimes God puts us in a place we do not want to be. But the reason God has put us into that place is because he wants to break Family patterns and he wants to transform your character into the man and woman that God has called us to be. And so he's in prison. But the cupbearer remembers this after a few years. And he goes, Pharaoh has a dream which disturbs everybody. And when Pharaohs have dreams, everybody hides because heads start to roll. And he said, I remember a young Jewish guy. He was in charge of the uh, prison. He got promoted. The prison warden never thought anything about him. Uh, And that area, the responsibility was given to him. His charisma, his character was being redeemed. He became a leader in the prison. And the warden paid no attention to him and he was quite the guy. And then we had dreams and he interpreted them. I promised that I would remember him, but I have forgotten him, Pharaoh. But if you call on him. So the scriptures say that he is now washed and dressed and another robe is put on him. You notice that there's three robes in the story. There's the robe of favoritism that brought no fruitfulness. There's the robe that is ripped off him as he tries to escape. And now there's a robe that he's being dressed in to come before Pharaoh. But he's a different man here. How do we know there's a different man? Pharaoh says, can you interpret this dream? And he looks at this and he says, I cannot do it. Does that sound like the Joseph, the arrogant, the brash, the one who creates fear amongst the brothers, the one who tells bad reports, the one who loves to tell dreams about them bowing down and worshipping in arrogance, sowing fear with no humility, with vanity, with all the gifting in the world but none of the great character to go with that gifting? but suddenly i cannot do it joseph replied to pharaoh but god will give pharaoh the answer he desires you notice it's a shift and the man is changed When we realize that we give up our vanity, we give up our selfishness, we give up our shame, we give up our competitive nature. A man is changed when a man is humbled before God and looks for the kindness and the favor of God. And eventually says, I cannot do it, but it's only God alone that can do it, Pharaoh. Only God can do it. And for many of us, including myself, we've got to humble ourselves before the living God and lose the old patterns of family that have been modeled to us and understand that the true patterns that bring freedom are the patterns of the kingdom of God. And there are patterns. They may not be lying. They may not be favoritism. They may be a whole host of things. But the end point we want to reach is I want to stand before Pharaoh and it's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about God. And here we have this moment where where the guy that was broken in his character, God has healed him. The guy... That was arrogant, God has humbled him and redeemed him the, the The Joseph who lived his life comparing himself with everybody around him is suddenly has a heart of non-comparison, non-competitiveness. He has submitted himself to the kindness and to the love of God. Here we have a Joseph who had a toxic soul, but the Lord came into him and healed his toxic soul and brought healing and freedom to him. Here we have a Joseph who his whole security in life was to be number one to compete, to be in the top of the pecking order, top of the hill. He was the number one brother, the youngest, but he was the gifted. And the number one is suddenly now secure, not in those things, but secure in the kindness and the grace and the favour of the God of heaven, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and now the God of Joseph. And the truth is, it takes a very brave person to say, I want to overcome family patterns. These behaviours have often been modelled, they are entrenched. Of course, we know the obvious family patterns. The family patterns that are modelled of alcoholism, addiction. The family patterns that are modelled of the breakdown of relationships. The family patterns that are modelled within toxic behaviour and anger and resentment and frustration. But there are the subtle family patterns. You may not have noticed it in Abraham, but the lying that takes place. The subtle family patterns of the resentment The frustration, the anger, the jealousy, the unfaithfulness, the backbiting, the hatred, the resentment, the family patterns that you can see. So we have to be willing to say as a redeemed person, Lord, I am willing to stand in the gap and I'm willing to break those family patterns. And it starts with me. Starts with me. Now for many of you, you've been blessed with a good family pattern. You've been blessed for generations. Come on. You know, I know many of your stories. You know, we came from Europe. I came from Europe a bit more recently than many of you. But you came from Europe and settled on farms in, 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 in glorious, wondrous places like Manitoba. And and God was with your families and you were blessed and, and the farm grew and, and many children grew and many farms grew and, and when you say how many pastors do we have in our family we have you know hundreds of pastors and, and God has blessed the generations we should be thankful for that but even us that may have been raised, there are religious patterns that need to even be broken in our lives. Hidden, that we let the Lord redeem. So there are blessed patterns. We let the Lord redeem. But gentlemen, it takes guts. It takes guts To say, this is the pattern, I see it, but I'm willing to model something completely different. I'm willing. I'm willing to model that difference. I'm willing to overcome the family patterns. I'm willing to admit the family patterns. You cannot heal that which you will not admit to. I can see it. I can see the way that the Lord can do this. And I only preach this with confidence because I don't come from generations of blessed family. But I come from generations of, of, of unbelievers and atheists and adulterers and drunks and alcoholics and depressants. And people... Um, are suffering with mental illness and problems and addiction but I know that when I came into the kingdom of God that when I came into the kingdom of God that it stops now why does it stop now because I have joined a new family I have joined a new line and therefore the habits of the past are broken the patterns are freed because Christ Jesus' blood sets us free and God builds new patterns within our lives. And you see it in the life of Joseph. But religious, harsh, manipulative patterns can be as as destructive. But they're just dressed in a different robe. Get help. If I have to fight a giant, I won't go at it alone. You know, it's, it's a great thing that when you recognize certain patterns, I need to fight this. Look at David. When kings go to war, he looked out and he saw Bathsheba. I've been to that spot on the hillside. I've looked down at the old city where it would go down the hill. Very easy to spot the women having baths. Not that I did. But you can look into people's homes. And you can look around and you can imagine King David there when he should be living like a king at war, instead he became lazy and instead of laziness caused him to switch on to Bathsheba, to inappropriate Netflix, to the internet, to something else. And sin was committed. That sin came into his family and Ammon and raped his daughter, his sister Tamar. You see it. You see it coming then, affecting the family line. Absalom takes over the kingdom. Dishonours his father with the concubines. Again, Solomon comes. Although he has a prophetic dream about how great he is. Well, that's wonderful. But he chose 700 concubines and 300 wives. It grows. The pattern. But the truth is that when you've got a giant to, to bring down. And I've stood on, I've been there. I mean, stood on the spot, but we drove through it in the bus. And the stream where, they, where it happened in Israel, and they fight, and the armies, you can imagine it. And there's a stream there. And, um, and I guess they say that the, the, the pilgrims take a stone from the, from the stream. But the Israelis bring in truckloads of stones to put in the stream. Because over the years, they're running out of stones. That's religion for you. But you need help. To bring down a giant. Can't do it alone. You deal decisively with patterns. Jesus pointed this out. If we deal radically with sin before it deals radically with us. If your hand offends you, chop it off. If your eye offends you, gouge it out. He didn't mean that literally. Thankfully. But he meant it. Be decisive. Stand break the family patterns, make the difference. I find practicing spiritual disciplines. If I have a propensity towards greediness and towards taking this and towards whatever I find, the spiritual disciplines like fasting, like simplicity, like silence. The great Christian disciplines mold my soul into the man of God that I should be maybe you need to look at that the power of meditating on scripture in the area of the vice and the virtue and choosing the virtue that is in in Christ and breaking the pattern of the vice so that freedom can come it is a beautiful thing to meditate to meditate on scripture to memorize it to savor it to repeat it to allow it to affect your life and dear friends you know as you as you meditate on scripture and you memorize scripture and you sit quietly and contemplate the power of scripture within your life i can tell you the power of scripture coursing through your veins will transform your character mixed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do I tell you all of this on family day? Because families are complicated. But I want to bring you to the end of the story where you've got a Joseph Who meets his brothers, who does not condemn them, does not murder them, does not annihilate them, but loves them and welcomes them. Is reunited with his father and declares what man meant for bad, God turned for good. And family patterns can be broken because whatever man meant and in our foolishness and our sinfulness and our bad habits and what has been modelled to us in wrong ways we can stop right now and we can get the heart of Joseph which is the heart of Christ a redeemed heart a free heart that Christ comes and we raise a hallelujah we raise a hallelujah because the battle has been won through Christ Jesus upon the cross. You see, but wouldn't I be disloyal to my family if I start to, you know, maybe deal with some of these things? No. The the most loyal thing you can do for your family is seek the victory of Christ and break the patterns that hold you. That's the lawless thing you can do. And it's a beautiful thing. For those of you who are new converts with long histories, the old pattern, the past does not equal the future because you have walked through the power of the cross. And he has brought freedom. And church, for those of you with less messy backgrounds and blessed backgrounds and glorious histories, Watch the little things. Watch the little patterns. Be bold enough. You're a blessed family, generations. But watch where the little half-lives come in. Watch where the little areas come. Watch where the foxes come to destroy the vineyard. Say, no. No. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. I'm going to look for the victory of the Lord. I'm going to look for the freedom of Christ. And my family will be blessed. Be blessed. Because I'm going to pray God's favour and God's blessing. Let's pray together. Maybe as before I pray, you may think or bow your heads. And just search your own heart, your own life. Your own patterns, your own attitudes that are very unhelpful. Maybe the first step is to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. For love is patient, for love is kind. It does not... Boast is not envious, is not proud, he's not arrogant. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong, doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in good. In truth always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Say that 50 times to yourself in prayer throughout the day and it will change your life. Change your heart. Father, we do humbly come to you this day and we thank you For the redemption and the love of God. That it's always restorative. You restore us. You weren't being punitive with Joseph. You were restoring him to the great leader he would become. You were bringing him to the place where he would be the prime minister of Egypt. In a time when the ancient world was in crisis because of the sea people. There was... Cities were burning, empires were collapsing, yet God you protected the family of God in Egypt with a prime minister called Joseph, and you broke the patterns and you redeemed the man and you brought kindness and favor and great wisdom And you took his character. For every one of us, Lord, we have many gifts and characters. May you keep the process of redeeming us. We speak blessing on every family here. We speak favour. We speak health. We speak life, Lord. We pray, God, that you would take us as men and women deeper into the glorious presence of our God that we may know your presence filling our lives. For our children, for our grandchildren. For our great-grandchildren, we raise up a banner and say, Lord, blessing on them in Jesus' name. For those connected us through adoption and, and through agreement, through fostering, we pray blessing on them in the name of Jesus. We pray, God, that where there has been broken relationships and pain, we pray healing of the soul, softening of the heart where there has been decades of of division sown. We pray for unity, for peace and for healing in every family represented in this church today and for every family connected to this church. We pray for great blessing and redemption in their stories in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, Amen.